Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy first, and I'm going to ask you to turn with me to several places today. Deuteronomy um, chapter 23. How many, how many of you ate too much this week? Y'all lying if you say you didn't. Um, I ate so much at lunch, I didn't even eat at my mom and dad's for supper. I just kept walking by the table so she'd think I was eating, but I couldn't put any more in. I was full. And... Um, Cindy, we never know how many is going to show up at her brother's. I cooked two turkeys, and um, and we had enough feed 70, and I think there were seven of us there to eat. <laughs> so um, there's some turkey salad by there. <laughs> Actually, it's still at the house. I think Cindy's trying to keep it for herself. I never made turkey salad, but it turned out pretty good. Um, November is about Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving is about food, and that got my whole mindset moving in that direction before this month began, and um, thinking about how physical food nourishes our body and gives us the strength and ability to be up and do things that we need to do and that we love to do, and the same is true about our spiritual food, and I was amazed at the number of times, and I hadn't even scratched the surface, if you'll go through the Bible and look at the number of times the Bible talks about um, itself and about Jesus um, and even about doing what God has called us to do, the number of times that food is used um, as an analogy. And, um, and, and after I began to write some of those verses down and meditate on them, I started just thinking about the whole process um, of us intaking physical food and how it transforms our bodies and, and nourishes us and, 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 and helps us get out and, and, and be active. Um, and I began to see those verses in a different light and begin to think about the whole spiritual process of ingesting the Word of God and, and, um, and how it moves us and motivates us spiritually to do the things that Christ has called us to do and to be. So th- tomorrow, this morning is going to be one of the strangest messages you ever heard me preach, and that's saying something. Because <laughs> I preach some strange ones along the way. But when you, when you talk about the, um, the whole digestive process, spiritually, that, that same thing takes place in us. And I hope you look at food a whole different way and the way your body works a whole different way again. And I hope it calls your mind back to the whole spiritual aspect of your life, um, which is the most important aspect of all of our lives. Um, the spiritual digestive process is just like the, the um, physical digestive process in that you ingest food you digest the food, you assimilate that food into your body and into your life. You get the energy, um, the nutrition that you need to, to do what you need to do. And then the last part of that physical digestive process is egestion, which is what we're going to cover today. And that's a very sanitized word for what we're going to talk about, but it's a good word. I'm going to keep it as sanitary as I can this morning, all right? Um, but when you, when you talk about the whole spiritual process of digestion, I'm, I'm not going to spend a long time reviewing here because I really want to run you to some other passages of Scripture. Um, in, when you talk about ingesting, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. That's the first I am he used in the Gospel of John. He said, if you eat, if you eat this bread, you have everlasting life. If you eat Jesus, that's who he is, um, uh, what he did, and what he said. Um, everything about Christ, that's where it starts at. If you ingest, that's, what, that's salvation. If you take in the Lord Jesus Christ... Um, which is believing. When he talked about if you eat this flesh and drink this blood, if you eat this bread and, 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 and drink this blood, it, he used those words interchangeably with believing. So if you ingest the Lord Jesus Christ, if you take in Jesus by faith, you have everlasting life. That's where our life begins, by the way. 
That's where spiritual life begins. You don't, you don't have a spiritual life to feed until you've ingested the bread of life. Um, but that's not where it ends at, because after you ingest that, that, that bread of the Lord Jesus Christ, after you believe in Him, um, then, then, then comes the digestion of that that you've ingested. And, and what that is, is the understanding of God's Word. We talked about the milk and the meat of God's Word, and how often that terminology is used, that you begin to understand more about who Jesus is, and more about what Jesus did, and more about what he said, and you begin then that third process to assimilate that into your lives. Uh, and, and that's the process of application. That's the process of taking what you have ingested about Jesus and what you understand about him from the milk and the meat of God's word, and you begin to let that move uh, in, through your life and motivate you and apply it to all the different areas of your life where um, the bread of life and the milk and the meat of God's word uh, have impacted. So, the last part of that spiritual digestive process, physically and spiritually speaking, is egestion. And I'm going to give you just one simple word for that, and that is removing. Um, when the eating is over, this is your message title. <laughs> when the eating is over, the leftovers must go. Now, I'm sanitizing it for you, all right? When the eating is done... When, when the digestion is done, when the assimilation is done, what's left over um, has to be discarded. It has to be let go. If the body can't use it, it needs to loose it. And once our digestive, once our body has done what it needs to do with the food that we've ingested and digested and assimilated, what it can't use anymore, it discards. It gets rid of. That's the same thing that needs to happen in our spiritual life. Um, and I don't know that it's, 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 it's as essential part of the whole process as ingesting, digesting, and assimilating. And if you want another biblical word for that, that, that um, removing, it is the word repentance. One more time, sir. How many is that? Uh, three, four? Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. I'm just going to cover it all in one. Um, <laughs> Spiritually speaking, I'm going to say this as plainly as I can, and then we're going to dive into the Scriptures. Spiritually speaking, if you want to apply the digestive process to your life spiritually, um, egestion is the process of separating and removing all that that is useless for your spiritual life. And there's one biblical word that will summarize that, and that is the word Repentance. All of, our, all of our spiritual life, there will be things that we have to release, that we have to let go, that we have to turn away from, that we have to leave, that we have to sit here and go there. Our whole life is about repentance. Repentance isn't something that you do one time. Repentance is something that you do every day of your life. And, and the, I, I think that this is true, and I'm going to say it again in a different way, uh, but um, the, the more you take in the Lord Jesus Christ and the more you understand the milk and meat of His Word and the more you begin to assimilate that in your life, the more you're going to understand there's some stuff I need to get rid of. It is useless for me in my spiritual life and in my spiritual growth. I love the Old Testament because the Old Testament gives us a lot of, of physical pictures or physical realities that, that illustrate for us spiritual truths. Um, I, I heard a fellow say it years ago, and I never forgot it. The, uh, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. 
And so all those stories in the Old Testament, they're all, those, all, the, all the words, all the altars, everything that's there is there for a reason. And, and a lot of times you'll find that reason um, illuminated for us in the New Testament. Well, if you look with me, this is a strange passage of Scripture. I would like to know the number of pastors in the history of the world that have preached from this passage of Scripture. Because I promise you there ain't been many of them. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 12 says this. And, and, and this is, if you have a study Bible, there's probably a heading somewhere back, a few verses from this, talking about the law of sanitation. Verse 12 says this, Thou shalt have a place also without the camp, that is, outside the camp, whither thou shalt go forth abroad. Now that King James language has sanitized this a great deal. Verse 13 says, Thou shalt have a paddle upon thy weapon, and it shall be when thou... When thou wilt ease thyself abroad, thou shalt dig therewith, and shalt turn back and cover that which cometh from thee. For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp to deliver thee, and to give up thine enemies before thee. Therefore shall thy camp be holy, that he see no unclean thing in thee, and turn away from thee. So, I, what I believe, and I, I, think I, I think I can prove this to you from the New Testament in a few minutes, is that we are being painted, a, we are being given a physical picture here of a spiritual principle. Um, it's not a pleasant pr- a picture in any sense of the word, um, but it is a necessary picture. It's a necessary principle that we need to apply to our lives. A very private matter. The reason that we're uncomfortable talking about this in church, the reason you won't hear many pastors preach on this is because we consider this to be one of the more private matters of our personal life. And I'm going to say more about that in a little bit. Um, but, but there is a spiritual, there's a physical picture of a, um, of a spiritual reality that has to take place in our life. Understand this, this is written when they don't have a temple yet. Um, they have a tabernacle that's traveling with them through the wilderness, and, and, but they're camped around about that tabernacle. They're in the wilderness. They're in the woods. And God says, when you, when you have to relieve yourself, you go outside of this camp. You go abroad. You take your weapon and you dig a hole. And after you have relieved yourself, you cover it up and come back into the camp. Um, go outside the camp, bury it there, and leave it there. You, you remember that because I'm going to come back to that right at the end of the message. Outside the camp, take it, bury it, leave it. Even in the wilderness, God specified that waste removal be outside the camp. Um, I'm going to tell you where this, thought, where this process first entered my mind. I had a pastor friend, uh, Brother Roger Sumner, very, very wise man. He's, he's, he's got a book that's in process right now. I didn't know that until I called him and just talked to him a little bit. He shared a devotion with us years ago, years ago, and he went very quickly through it, but talking about the 12 gates in Nehemiah that were restored when the city walls of Jerusalem were built. I don't guess I'd ever read it. I guess I'd read over it and didn't think anything about it. But one of the gates to the city that was rebuilt in Nehemiah's day was called the Dung Gate. You can read about Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Um, the Dung Gate is where all of the waste that accumulated in the city of Jerusalem um, 
the, all the human waste and all the garbage, all the rubbish of the city went out the dung gate. And you, you do a little bit of research on this. It was taken to a garbage dump in the valley of Hinnom, which later became known as Gehenna, Gehenna which, uh, which also became a picture of literal burning hell. That word is used often and is translated in the King James Version, hell, because garbage was burned there. It was taken to that place and burned in that valley. So Nehemiah references a dung gate where uh, all the waste and all the rubbish was removed from the city. Um, and if you look again at Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 14, um, this is not just a matter of personal hygiene. This is a matter of personal holiness. It's not just a matter of keeping the city clean physically and hygienically. If you look at verse 14, it said your camp is a holy place. That's a spiritual principle. And, and you don't need to bring anything unclean into it and God turn away from you. Um, and that's where I think that we, we, we um, this is a matter not only of, 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 of personal physical matter, this is a spiritual matter where we have to take what is unclean in us and set it aside and bury it and leave it so that the Lord himself doesn't turn away from us. So let's go to the New Testament. Philippians chapter 3, I referenced this a few weeks ago and told you we were going to come back here. Philippians chapter 3, I'm going somewhere with all this, I promise you. It'll make sense when we get towards the end especially. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 7. I'm just going to read for a minute. Um, very familiar. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now, I'm not going, I, I don't, I'm not going to go and try to break that all apart this morning, but understand this. Well, here's what the Apostle Paul said in a nutshell. He had just listed his spiritual pedigree as a Pharisee before he became a Christ follower. He said, if you want to talk about the righteousness that comes by the law, this is the kind of life that I lived. And he, and he, and he listed that, that, that spiritual pedigree as a Pharisee who knew the law front and backwards and who, who was circumcised the eighth day, he was of the tribe of Benjamin, he went through that spirit, that, that pedigree. If anybody had a right to boast about who he was and what he was doing, I had that right. But then in verse 7 he said, but, but all of those things that I saw at that point in time in my life that I thought were gain, were profitable, for, were good for me, he said those I counted loss. For Christ. In fact, he went on to say in that next verse that everything that I had in my life before Christ, all of my, all of my pre-Christian religious spiritual pedigree is worthless when I compare it to the righteousness that was given to me when I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I ingested the bread of life, all of that other stuff became worthless to me. And I counted it all dumb. The world might have saw it as something good. I, at the time, saw it as something good. But looking back now, all I see is that it was worthless when compared to what Christ has given me by faith in Him. 
So, and, 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 and again, I think what he's telling us now is that my whole entire spiritual life, everything about me is now wrapped up in knowing, experiencing, and fellowshipping with Christ. Everything about me. I mean, before I had Christ, I had nothing. It was dung. I laid it aside. I, I set it behind. I buried it, and I walked away from it. And now my whole life is, 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 is revolving around this business of, of knowing, experiencing, and fellowshipping with Christ. And anything that does not enhance that life, anything that doesn't enable that life, anything that doesn't help me know Christ better, experience Christ more, or, or have a deeper intimacy and fellowship with Him, I want it out of my life. It's worthless, it's repulsive, it has to be removed, it's dung. That's what he said in verse 10. Why do I count it all as dung? Why do I lay it aside? Why do I take it outside the city and bury it so that I can know Him? and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. It's got to it's go. And then if you look what he said in verse 12, he said, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Here's the whole business of repentance, of laying aside, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So, so this is what I think he's saying. This is the Apostle Paul writing. This is the greatest missionary to the Gentile nations that's ever lived. This is the man who wrote over half the New Testament. This is the man who just said, I'm not where I need to be yet. I'm not where I want to be yet, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep leaving some things behind and pressing forward to some things that are before, and I'm going to stress to reach the prize of the, of the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is that? To be Christ-like in every way. And, and, so, and so he says, uh, the more I grow spiritually in my, in my relationship with Christ, the more we grow spiritually uh, in our relationship with Christ, the more obvious the things that are dung are going to become to us. You understand what I just said? This is the Apostle Paul. I don't even begin to compare my life to where he was at spiritually. But even the Apostle Paul said, as I begin to press toward that mark, I'm going to realize there are more and more things in my life that are worthless to me that I need to lay aside, that I can't use anymore. It may have at one point in my life been helpful to me, but it's no longer helpful, and it's time for me to move on and, and pressing towards that mark. So the more you grow spiritually in Jesus, just like the Apostle Paul, the more obvious the things that are dung will become. Now, we're going to jump into some other scriptures, and I, if you can turn with me, that's great. Um, I, didn't, I didn't write them all down. I just put the reference down as they know, put them up, of course. But I would like you to follow with me. But before we move on to some other scriptures, and this is, I promise this is going to be the worst part of the whole message right now. All right, brace yourself. A short list of facts concerning physical dung. It's a necessary part of the life process. Everybody has it. Everybody has to do it. Everybody's got to get rid of it. And if you don't, you will become deathly sick. Deathly sick. The sickest I've ever seen my dad was when he had an obstruction from, from 
it was it started as a stomach virus and he and he and I'm not going to be too graphic there but he literally twisted his intestines and created a blockage. He was I'd never seen him so miserable in my life. And his stomach bloated it looked like it was going to explode. If you stop this process it will destroy your life. Secondly, it, it is a nagging part of the, of the life process. Now, I'm going to let you, I'm not, I'm not going to do a whole lot of explanation right here, all right? Let me just say this. When you got to go, you got to go. And if you don't have a gallbladder anymore, you know that better than anybody. Amen. You don't ignore it. Not for long you don't ignore it. It will demand your attention until you give it your attention. And pretty much everything else that you need to do or ought to do will be set aside at some point, and it will nag you until you do set it aside. And then the last physical short fact about physical dung is it's a nasty part of the life process. It stinks. That's the reason it is a matter that is best dealt with personally and privately. And the same can be said of the dung that pollutes our spiritual life. It is best when we deal with it personally and privately. So spiritually speaking... If you want to go ahead, and, I'm going to give you a few minutes to turn there, but Mark chapter 7. I'll show you something Jesus said. We read right over these passages sometimes and don't, and don't really get it. Mark chapter 7. Spiritually speaking, what is, what is this dung that we need to get rid of? Spiritually speaking. We know about the physical process, but spiritually, what is that stuff in our life that we have to go outside of the camp Dig a hole, bury it, and leave it. We have to recognize it before we can separate it and remove it. That's what the whole process is about. Separating it from what's useful and removing it from our life. This is not useful for us. So, And I, I want to say this again because I believe this is true. The more faithfully you ingest Jesus, the, the more faithfully you digest the milk and the meat of his word, the more faithfully you try to assimilate both of those things into your life through the application of it, the more easily you'll identify the dung that doesn't need to be there anymore. The, the, the more aware you'll become of the dung. Because you'll see it for what it is. It hinders, it hinders your walk with Christ. It hinders your fellowship with Christ. It hinders your ability um, to gain any more from that relationship with Christ. Um, I, I said it last week and I'll say it again. It leaves you spiritually constipated if you don't deal with it. Um, thankfully, the scriptures help us see that necessity. And, and they, if you, if, listen, if you, the more you learn about Jesus from the milk and the meat of his word the more persistent that nagging will be in your heart when you know there's something there that shouldn't be there. 
and it'll stay there until you get rid of that, the nastiness that's inside of you. So Mark chapter 7, look at verse 14. Now I don't have time to get in all the context, but they were, the Pharisees were, were making accusations against um, Jesus' followers because they didn't wash their hands before they ate. I, th- I don't think Jesus, this is not Jesus saying that he's against washing your hands before you eat. Don't make more of it than, than is here. Um, but the Pharisees made a big deal out of things that were not that big a deal and made light of things that were a big deal. That's Jesus' point here. Look at verse 14. When he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. Listen to, this, listen to verse 15. There is nothing from outside a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he, when he was entered into the house from the people, away from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said unto them, Are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? And here's why. Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the drought, purging all meats. Now, he, Jesus is talking about the same thing that Deuteronomy chapter 23 is talking about. What you eat goes through your system. What can't be used is laid aside. That that is no good um, is, is rejected by your body and put aside. It goes out in the drought. And then he said this in verse 20. That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For, with, for from within, listen to this, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, which just means lawlessness, An evil eye that's looking at somebody spitefully, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So that there's and there's there's a bunch of these in the Bible, so don't don't use this as an exhaustive list. A lot of them look just like this one. I'm not gonna go read all of them. We'll read a few of them. But but there this is a dung listing for us. This is spiritual dung. And so this is what Jesus said. If this stuff is in you, it's defiling you. And you need to get rid of it. If, if any of these things are inside you, they are defiling you. And you need to remove them from your life. Now, um, look at 2 Corinthians. I'm going to run you through about three different passages real fast. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Then we're going to bring it home. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. I don't, again, I don't have time to give you the whole context. But verse 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So he's talking about fellowship. He's talking about communion. He's talking about separate yourself from those things that defile. Separate yourself from those things that are unclean, and I'll be a father to you, and you're going to be my sons, and you'll be my daughters, saith the Lord. But, but keep reading because there's a chapter break right here that I don't think really should have been there. 
Uh, I'll be a father to you, you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. Having therefore these promises, what promises? Um, that if you separate yourself, that if you do what I'm telling you to do, if you, if you, if you separate yourself from those unclean things, I'm going to be a father and you're going to be my sons and daughters. So he said, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, listen to what he says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, in the fear of God. Now look at that verse, look at that verse carefully. Um, there has to be a separation. And he said very specifically, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, that is the body, that's physically, that is, um, not, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the physical dung, I'm talking about the external sins in your life, cleanse yourself from them. Uh, if you're a drunkard, quit being a drunkard. If you're a thief, stop th stealing. And, and, that, and that, that list is throughout Scripture. That, cleanse yourself of all filthiness of the flesh. Whatever things that you're doing that are, that are contrary to the law of God, get it out of your life. But then he said also to cleanse yourself from the filthiness of the Spirit. That's internally. That's not just the stuff on the outside. That's the stuff on the inside. Now, let me tell you something. The day that I got saved, I knew there was a whole bunch of things that had to change real fast right away in my life. I knew it was wrong. It was an external sin. Everybody in the world could see it. Um, everybody in the world knew about it at that particular time. And I knew that I had to lay some of those things aside. It, they didn't had to tell me that. I knew because I'd been born again in the Lord Jesus Christ and I had enough knowledge of His Word that I knew there were some external sins that had to go. I had to cleanse my flesh so the people that came in contact with me in public would know that something has changed in me. But that ain't where it stopped at. There's some stuff inside me that nobody didn't see and that nobody didn't know about. But the more I learned about Jesus and the more I studied his word and the more I tried to apply it to my life, the more I realized there's some more junk in there. And it's stuff that the world don't see, but it's stuff that God sees. It's stuff that defiles me from the inside out. I'm not doing it on the outside, but if I don't get a hold of it, I'll manifest it on the outside. Cleanse yourself from all filthiness, externally, and internally. I, I didn't realize how often this, this, this concept um, comes up in Scripture, but look at James chapter 1. I may just let Zena put them up there for the sake of time. James chapter 1. I want you to look at, look at verse number 20 with me. James 1 verse 20. Um, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. By the way, wrath is something that comes from inside, right? The wrath of man. That's, that's, that's maliciousness. That's vengefulness. That's, that's that, that comes from in us that makes us lose control of our words and lose control of our actions. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So here's what James said to do. Wherefore, lay apart. Man, all these passages starting to sound familiar, aren't they? Outside the camp. Take it outside the camp. If, if you find this filthiness in your life, take it outside the camp. Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity. That's excess of naughtiness. That's just any filth and evil. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. So, so wrath, that that is inside, excess filth and evil that, that is in your life, lay it aside. Why? So that you can receive with 
meekness the engrafted word. Now, I want you, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm taking you somewhere with all this. If you don't get rid of that on the inside, you won't be able to receive what God wants to give you through his word. Um, if, if you don't get rid of the filthiness that's the inside, you have, you have literally blocked the spiritual digestive process to the point that you can't receive anything else you're, because you're full of that filth that's in you. Um, two more passages, and then, I'm, and then we're going to close it quickly. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I've read this verse in one of the other messages. I read a part of this. First Peter chapter 2. Listen. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Now, everything in that list except that last one is internalized. Maliciousness comes from, out, from inside of us. Guile, deceit, is on the inside of us. Um, hypocrisies is when we're pretending to be something that we're not. When we're doing the things we're condemning other people for. That's inside of us. Um, envyings is inside of us. Evil speakings is, would be the only one that lists that could be considered something that's been manifested, that's, been, that, that, that's, that's become public, that's become um, not just a personal private matter now, but you have spoken against someone. All of that other stuff. Comes from the inside. So here's what he said in verse 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So laying aside these things. You follow his reasoning here. If you lay aside these things. Um, you will have a new hunger for the milk of God's word. Um, if you If you... Set aside these things, it makes you desire. Let me, give you a, let, me, let me help you understand what I'm trying to say. If you lay aside this stuff, you'll make room for God to put some more in you. If you'll set these things aside, you will desire more of the Word so that you can grow thereby. And see, I, I think a lot of times when we get bored with our Bible reading and we get bored with our Bible study and we get bored with our Bible understanding, we, we just quit. We just walk away from it. There's a reason for that. It's because we're stopped up spiritually. It's because that God's put His finger on some things in our life that needs to go, that are hidden within our heart, that nobody else may see, but you know it's there, and He knows it's there. And that, that, that necessary part of your spiritual life, which is repentance, uh, begins to nag you because you know it's there. The reason you don't want to read the Word of God is you ain't got no room for what He says because you hadn't, already, you hadn't applied what He said. And, and so when you lay that stuff apart, when you lay it aside, when you walk away from it, when you see it as the spiritual dung that it is, is then you'll come back to the table and desire the milk of God's word because you have tasted that he is good and gracious one more passage Ephesians chapter 4 you're very familiar with this I'm, I hope I can help you see it in a little bit different light now Ephesians chapter 4 here's another one of them dung lists for you because sometimes we need it spelled out for us, don't we? Huh? Sometimes we don't need to be generic. Sometimes we just need to be forthright and say, yep, that's there. It's there. I know it's there. Look at verse 31. 
Let all bitterness inside, wrath inside, anger inside, clamor maybe inside, outside, evil speaking inside, outside. Here's that word again. Be put away from you with all malice. Verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Now let me tell you something. You can't do that unless you do what was listed in verse 31. You, you cannot be tenderhearted. You cannot be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving of each other Unless you have rid yourself of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking with maliciousness. There's no way for you to apply verse 32 unless you start with verse 31. There's some stuff you've got to get rid of before you can have anything else put in you. So listen, if there's somebody you need to release, if there's somebody that you need to let go, if there's something, somebody has done something to you, that you need to forgive them of. You've got to go outside the camp. You've got to get away from everybody and get in the presence of God and dig you a hole and bury that mess so that you can come back and do what God's called you to do, which is to be like He has been to you. You know what the Bible says the Lord does with our iniquities and with our sins? He buries them in a sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. So why should we do that for others? Because he's done it for us. I'm glad that God is not bitter and wrathful and angry and malicious towards me, aren't you? So if we want to be like him, we've got to lay that stuff aside. It's impossible to make verse 32 a part of your life unless you rid yourself of all the dumb that's listed in verse 31. So... Here's where the rubber meets the road, and I hope it all makes sense to you. Zena's going to put all this up so you can read it, because I think this is the summary of the whole message this morning. Most of the dung in our life, most of the spiritual dung in our life consists of private, personal, putrid, which is just another word for stinking, thoughts, feelings, and attitudes. Mitch Griffin, this is a key part of his ministry. When, when Mitch covers the word S in the restoration, in the restored series, it is separation. You, you have to learn to separate things in your life that are not from God. It is personal, it is private, personal, putrid thoughts, feelings, attitudes, inside stuff. Listen to this now. Which are most often deposited in us through offenses, Disappointments, misunderstandings in your dealings with other people and sometimes even in your dealings with yourself. What makes you bitter, angry, clamoring, malicious? Somebody offended you. You were disappointed in somebody. Or you just misunderstood something. And your perception is reality until that reality has changed. But what that does is it plants some stuff in your heart that can't stay there because it'll defile you. 
Now, those are, I think those are all byproducts of a sin-cursed world. It is impo- the Bible says this, it is impossible but that offenses will come. If you walk through this sin-cursed world, and, and sometimes they're going to come from a brother and sister in Christ. And sometimes you're going to be disappointed in a brother and sister in Christ. And sometimes you're going to misunderstand the motivations. You're going to have a misperception of something that somebody did to you, maybe even inside the church house. And you can sit on that and let it seethe inside of you, and it'll create that bitterness and that maliciousness and that, and, and that, 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 that thing that just stops you up from receiving anything else spiritually because you're... Whole fault feeling attitude process has been polluted by that useless thing that's been deposited in you. What do we need to do? We need to go to a private place. Dig a hole. Release it and bury it. Some of y'all have heard Mitch speak and you've heard Mitch talk about his relationship with his daddy. Which was not a relationship. He shared it here one time. His daddy... Mitch, Mitch did something that made his daddy mad, and his daddy threw a hammer at him as a little boy. And I think Mitch said he used some profanity when he threw it, and his daddy was a deacon in the church, pillar in the community. But that put something deep in Mitch's heart that he had to get rid of. And when he went through that process of, of, of depression and and was at the, at the bottom of, of life, literally, I thought he, I, I was afraid that he was going to do something. I was afraid he was suicidal. And he went to that counseling ministry up in Thomaston, which he later became a counselor in. But, but if you hear his story, he had to go down, he had to go outside of the camp and go sit at, fit at his daddy's grave one day and say, Daddy, I know you were probably giving me what was given to you, and you were never able to release it, but I'm fixing to let it go. I'm, I'm going to forgive you even though you hadn't asked for my forgiveness. I'm going to release you even though you, because it ain't hurting you, it's hurting me. And Mitch said right there, daddy dead and in the grave. But he said, I had to let my daddy and all those offenses and all those disappointments and all those misunderstandings that he had deposited in my life might not even knew it was. I didn't know it was there. I didn't know how much it was polluting me until I laid it down. And as soon as Mitch laid it down, he'll tell you God began to pour into him. I wondered this, and I'm wondering out loud. I was thinking about this. The Bible says that Jesus, oftentimes, in the middle of his ministry, and I get it. We, please don't think I'm making too much of this. But you know the Bible says that Jesus was touched with the feeling of our infirmities and was in all points tempted like we are that's what it says but the, the, the bible says often that jesus went apart himself what's that his personal private he didn't he didn't take the disciples with him he didn't even take the inner circle with him he just went off by himself to pray now just think of, i'm i'm just thinking out loud right now but You know the number of people that came against Jesus in any given day? And that made false accusations against him? And that had a complete misunderstanding of his ministry? 
do you know how often he was disappointed in the men that he had called into ministry? And so what did Jesus do? He went and got along with the Father and unloaded all of that. He was in all points tempted like we are. He walked through a sin-cursed world and felt the wrath of sin-cursed men coming against him, falsely accusing him, malicious towards him. And then he, he just, I, I think Jesus did this every day, honestly. I, the scriptures points us to some places, but I think every day Jesus took some time to go outside the camp and spend some time with the Father. And the reason I believe that is because one of the last things he said, the last thing he said from the cross, besides it is finished, is forgive them. What was he doing? I'm, he didn't, there wasn't no maliciousness in him. There wasn't any bitterness in him. There wasn't, listen, he's letting it all go. That holding on to that is not profitable for me or for them. Forgive them. I'm going to tell you something. If you don't take it outside the camp, it's going to defile you from the inside out. And it's going to affect those people that are around you. It's going to poison your relationships with other people. They're not going to want to be near you because you're miserable inside. You've got to get rid of all the stuff. The useless stuff that's inside your spirit that you know is not of God and is not profitable for you. you got to separate yourself from it and remove it by confession and repentance. It is essential for your spiritual life. Isaiah chapter 53. Y'all know this passage. This is about the suffering Savior. And my friend Gerald uh, Roger Sumner, this is one of the verses that he used, and I saw it in a whole different light when he talked to us about it. But uh, look at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. You don't have to turn to it. Just look. Talking about Jesus now. But he was wounded for our transgressions. A wound is something that's external, isn't it? Happens on the outside. Jesus was beaten with 39 stripes. Whipped with a, cat, with a cat of nine tails. Um, spikes was driven through his hand. He was wounded for our transgression. You know what a transgression is? The Bible says that it's the violation of the law of God. It's a physical violation of the law of God. That's what a transgression. If you go break the speed limit and they wrote you a ticket, it's because you, you, you broke the speed limit. That's a transgression. It was a, it was a physical, outside, um, unlawful action. So Jesus was wounded. Because of our outward sin. But then it says he was bruised for our iniquities. Bruising is on the inside, right? Bruising comes from the, it comes from the inside out. Cindy's turned her ankle the other day. It was bruised on the bottom of her foot. And there were no external signs of a wound there. Except when, the, when you see the blood begin to pool underneath the skin. He was bruised for our iniquities. Look up what iniquities is. Iniquities is a propensity to sin. It is, what, it, it, is the, it is the inside of us that causes us to want to transgress the law. It's an inclination, a proclivity to sin. So Jesus had wounds and transgressions for our external sins. 
but he was also bruised for our internal iniquities. But what the Bible says is that the chastisement, another translation reads that, the chastisement of our peace, or the chastisement that brings us peace, was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Do you, under, do you see what that verse is saying? The chastisement of our peace, what's that? That's inside. That's because he was bruised for that inside sin that we have. The chastisement that brings us peace, he took that. And with his stripes, the wounds, we've been forgiven. We've been healed. So Jesus can give peace and healing. I'm I'm done right here, I I promise you. I just got to tell you this one last passage because I told you I was going to come back to this business outside the gate. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 verse 12. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered where? You know how they treated Jesus? Like dumb. Why did they do that? So that he could sanctify his people. So he could make his people holy. He took our sins with him. That's what the Bible says, that our sins, our transgressions, our iniquities were on him. And he took them outside the gate and suffered. But then look at the next verse. Let us go forth therefore unto him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. There's another place in Scripture that says, The reproaches that reproached him have fallen on me. Let's go forth unto him with the dung in our life. Let's take those spiritual, spiritually useless, worthless parts of our life that are inside of us. Take it to him outside the gate. Nail him to his cross. If Jesus suffered outside the gate, we can take our worthless dung outside the gate. Now listen, we could, I, could, I could go... You know where this message needs to be applied. I don't know what's inside of you, but here's the truth of the matter it is, you know what's inside of you. And there's a pretty good chance that if you're not growing spiritually, it's because there's something inside of you that you hadn't taken outside and dealt with. And you don't have to tell me about it. I'm not your priest. Jesus is your priest. In fact, I think the best place to deal with this is personally, privately, get rid of it on your own. Go into his presence and say, Lord, you know I've been holding on to this. Listen, say it out loud because you need to hear it. The enemy needs to hear it. 
Whoever it is that has offended you, whoever it is that you've had a misunderstanding with, whoever it is that you're disappointed in, go out, get apart like Jesus did with his father. Get apart and say, you heard what he said about me today. You saw what he did to me today. You understand what it's done to my spirit. It's made me bitter. It's made me angry. It's made me malicious. It's made me uh, want to say things and do things to him that I know are outside of your will. So I'm bringing them to you and I'm, I'm, I'm calling it what it is. It's done and I won't ever grow spiritually until I get it out of my life I don't need to put my finger on whatever it is in your life this morning because God can do that by his Holy Spirit he already, you know where this message applies to you and if you want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're going to have to follow his example and his example was that he took it outside and dealt with it so that the people around him understood that his purpose was that he was sent from God to do the work of God. Just like you and I are. As our musicians come, let's stand. Lord, I, I pray that this has made sense. It, it ain't a subject that I want to keep coming back to, but it's one of the most essential needs of our spiritual life. And I just believe there's some folks in here this morning got some stuff's been nagging them on the inside. It's got them unsettled in their spirit. Maybe they heard a term this morning that resonated. Maybe, maybe there's some bitterness, some anger, some maliciousness, some unforgiveness some disappointment, some offense, some misunderstanding. Help them this morning to recognize it as dumb. Absolutely no benefit whatsoever to their spiritual life. Until they deal with it, they won't know anything about growing in their fellowship with you. They won't experience you any more than they've experienced you already. They'll never know the intimacy of fellowship that they can know. They'll never grow and become what you want them to become. The devil knows that and he'd have them hang on to it. I pray that you'd help them this morning put it away. Set it aside. Leave it behind. Bury it. Just have your will and your way. And we'll praise you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. For that.